Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning everybody and welcome to another edition of Keep Left, the program of the Victorian Labor College. There is building works going on next door and they are making the most unbelievable noises so we hope we are able to continue with uh, a minimum discomfort to you. In the studio is Kim Doyle. Hi everyone. John Lafferty. Morning everybody. And I'm Chris Gaffney. (laughs) Said he forgetting who the hell he was for a moment. All right, Kim, you're going to start. Yeah, I just wanted to give a really brief report back on the rally that I mentioned last week, uh, which was on this Sunday. Um, People might have seen it on the television, um, but the racist mobilisation that I mentioned last week uh, was routed in Richmond uh, by a counter-mobilisation of anti-racist activists. Now, the background to the clash um, was that the racists organised by the United Patriots Front declared that they were going to march on Richmond Town Hall, which was a symbol of everything that they hate, apparently, home to a socialist councillor, Steve Jolly, and oftentimes having the rainbow flag, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags flying above it. And it is also in an area, a very multicultural area as well, which I'm sure they hate. Now, the UPF, which is, I mentioned, the United Patriots Front, describes itself as a national, or a nationwide movement op- opposing the spread of left-wing treason <laughs> and spread of is- Islam- Islamism. So people might have seen the pictures of a swat-sticked um, thug yelling at a Muslim woman at the rally. They were some of the pictures that were widely shown. And there were you know, a number of them that had uh, these fascist uh, symbols. Uh, so the group of... Uh, it was around 60 um, of these United Patriots apparently, and they were facilitated by Victoria Police, which uh, quite shamefully opened up a line for them to get to the in front of the Richmond Town Hall, which had been, uh, which was a section of Bridge Road that had been previously shut down by the counter-rally. Uh, but nonetheless, the much larger crowd of anti-racists, about 300, managed to push through the police lines and stop them from reaching the town hall. And they had to slink off down an alley, uh, down a laneway next to Australia Post so they didn't actually get to the Richmond town hall. So hopefully this bodes well for the next mobilisation against Reclaim Australia. Um, the UPF saw last Sunday as a building block for rallying the right for the Reclaim Australia rally, which has been called on July 18th, but they lost. Um, but we can't count on them being demoralised, so I think we have to mobilise the left again for a counter rally, which will be happening on the same day, July 18th, which is being organised by the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism, and no room for racism. So keep an eye out for updates about the time and place. Uh, there was a, a, ra- a YouTube rant by one of the fascists, I don't know whether you saw it. Oh, there's quite a few. He looked a, a fellow who had more than a few personal problems. <laughs> But uh, amongst other things, I learned that we left-wingers, we're supporters of terrorism. Well, this is the, this is the main concern I have. We're t- we are. Yeah, they, well, this is the main concern I have, is that this is the uh, perception. That, and as you said it before, I, I, I started to shake when they were putting the left wing in with Islamism. Hey, count me out. 
Well, absolutely. <laughs> can me well out, you know. Well, yeah, if that yeah, is even a perception of, um, um, for anybody, you know. This is not a rerun of Germany in the 1920s, okay? It's good. It's, it's, it's interesting. Do whatever you want to do. I think well, that's I'm cool. I'm not so sure but about the rerun yeah. of the 20s. Well, it's a very early stages. But capitalism develops an extra-parliamentary force yes, in which periods is fascism. of crisis. Yes. And, that's, and that's exactly what's happening. Which is fascism, yeah. <coughs> which is fascism. But apparently, apparently also we're, we're also Anzac-hating. We hate the Anzacs. Just in case you didn't know your hands. Well, I don't, I don't hit the. Um, well, of course you do. But I'm talking about what guys. the say about. It. Well, yeah, but the mythology, these, the creation of any well, sacred. Christ, but distinctions like that, I think, are rather lost mm. on you fascists. I, the Probably. thing is that the that their aim was basically to was the rally was called against the left. So it's definitely something that we should be worried about because the right hasn't organised like this in Australia since the 1980s. Um, but I wanted to talk about. Um, the Indigenous um, incarceration rate because a new Amnesty International report has found that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people aged 10 to 17 are 24 times more likely to be in detention than non-Indigenous youths. So the two-year investigation called A Brighter Tomorrow also points out that while Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander youth make up just um, under 6% of the Australian population of 10 to 17-year-olds, they comprise a staggering 59% of those in detention. The report made a number of recommendations to the Commonwealth and state governments, including to conform with the Conventions on the Rights of the Child for any person up to the age of 17 in detention. Um, there must be, it must be a measure of last resort. Um, any state um, or territory laws that treat persons below the age of 12 as criminally responsible should be declared invalid. Australia should ratify the operational protocol to the Convention Against Torture and allow inspections of youth detention facilities to ensure standards are being met. And Australia should recognise fetal alcohol spectrum disorders as disabilities under the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Now, jail for a young person is meant to be the measure of last resort, but not if you're Indigenous, apparently. So just a few examples. There's the example of uh, Lawrence Boney, who I believe this was in 2013. Uh, But he was a minor at the time, a 17-year-old, and he was handed a juvenile jail sentence of 12 months for possessing hardly more than a gram of marijuana with a street value of about $10. So if you get down to Melbourne Uni during uh, Swap Bat Week, you'll find more hardened criminals passed out on the lawn, and if you're lucky, they'll probably be over 18. Which state was that? Uh, I think it was in New South Wales, well, I thought, but I'd have to double-check. I thought in most of the states you could have quite a few grams of marijuana. Well, no, this no. Was, this was a, a, a very... It's not, it's not really a criminal offence. Well, it days, shouldn't be. Yeah, well, the, he, this was, um, at the time, it was something like the most that someone had been sentenced for that hmm. crime was something like three or three months, so it was, it was really um, unjust. Fortunately, the sentence was reduced on appeal, Another Aboriginal boy was found guilty of stealing a packet of hamburger buns and was sentenced to 12 months jail in the New South Wales town of Parks. So Sam Davies had a virtually clean criminal record until he appeared before the Parks magistrate, but it was not enough to prevent a sentence that stands as one of the harshest recorded in New South Wales in the past five years. That was in 2013. And details of the sentence came after it was revealed that three Aboriginal boys in the northwest and central west of New South Wales had received far in excess of, um, of the previous heavy, heaviest sentences for stealing. 
Additionally, the head of Amnesty International said in a speech to the National Press Club, Club in Canberra on Tuesday that Australia is out of line with international standards in holding children as young as 10 criminally responsible for their actions. Uh, the United Nations Committee on Human on the Rights of the Child has concluded that 12 is the lowest internationally acceptable minimum, which I think is pretty ridiculous anyway. Uh, so Australia is really trying to set some records um, here internationally when it comes to detention. And the Northern Territory, uh, in the Northern Territory, 86% of inmates are Indigenous. And the proportion of people in jail compared to the general population is third highest in the world behind China, who uh, has the number one spot, and the United States. And this statistic doesn't look uh, like it's going to improve anytime soon, as the Northern Territory's single largest new infrastructure project is a $500 million prison in Darwin. And new laws mean people can now be incarcerated with no paperwork. That's right. The Northern Territory Attorney General John Elfink, uh, Elfenick, Elferick, it's got a weird name anyway, uh, spoke to the media about the terrible burden that paperwork places on our police force. Didums. It's shocking. Yes. Shocking. So in the Northern Territory, you can be put in jail without any paperwork. Um, just, well, you know, this seems absolutely incredible. I mean, you can't... Why bother with the formalities? Well, exactly. <laughs> they're, ab- they're black, aren't they? Guilty of being black. I mean, how many forms do you have to fill out just to get the dole? It's absolutely incredible. It's like <sighs> writing a thesis. I would get on to that. <laughs> Despite this being an enormous social and economic problem costing the government millions per year, that is, locking up young people, programs that actually seek to curb this incarceration are inadequately funded. Um, and actually, well, specifically... Um, there's the custody, not- uh, custody notification service, a 24-hour phone line in New South Wales and the ACT that gives legal advice and ensures the safety of Indigenous people in police custody. Um, although the service only costs um, 500000 to run per year and has been quite successful, um, it was announced this week that its funding will be cut at the end of the month. Worse still, this isn't an isolated problem. As the age... Uh, reported earlier this year, the Indigenous custody rate has more than doubled in the past decade and federal government contributions to legal aid commissions have fallen every year since 1997 from about 50% to a third of all funding. With further cuts coming in the 2015 budget, things are looking even worse than ever. So, you know, the Prime Minister for Aboriginal Affairs strikes again, really. Yeah, he is the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs, isn't he? I should have known because it was in parks and that's where they have the Elvis Festival. That's New South, the what? The Elvis Festival. Oh, do they really? Yeah, Parks, New South Wales. Even though Parks is named after Sir Henry Parks, I believe, was That's the right. first ever Prime Minister, they ignore Australia's first ever Prime Minister in favour of Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> I would too. <laughs> I was wondering, what has Elvis got to do with it? The Parks. I, I was wondering what Elvis was, how Elvis was going to be tied into the... January the 8th every year, they have a big Elvis festival, and Elvis impersonators from all over the world congregate and I've got to get there one day right right but this is completely unrelated to completely incarceration right let's just say that this was just a point of interest alright John hang on these are the wrong glasses Chris these these are really quite heavy glasses I can't use well, these sorry about heavy that heavy eyes you don't have any does anyone else have any other glasses help no I'm going to try and read this without glasses of any kind Uh, Last week, a listener rang in in about letters which have been sent out by the Department of Employment. These letters relate to certain job service providers losing their government contracts. And so unemployed people are now being given new job service providers. 
The Department of Employment was formerly known as DEWA, or the Department of Education, Employment and Workplace Relations. That was until 2013 when we had a change of government. As is typical when governments change, names change. In the main, though, the policies are very similar, uh, no matter who's in charge. Now, the head of this uh, the Department of the Pl- Employment at present is Mr. Eric Betts. I'm sure we know Mr. Eric Betts. He's the Colonel Clink of Australian politics. Right. And he, and, he, <laughs> and, he, and he likes to give orders, and he expects these orders to be obeyed. Well, of course. Okay, as did Colonel Clink. This year, Mr. Abetz had the job of ending the contracts of some of these job service providers. In departmental speak, according to the letter, this is called competitive, according to the uh, the, the ministry uh, worker I spoke to, in departmental speak, this is called competitive evaluation. And one of this year's victim of this, victims of this competitive evaluation was the ORS group. Now, the ORS group has been operating in Australia for over 20 years, but this year they came to the attention of the ABC's Four Corners for some shady dealing, and Kim spoke about this earlier in the year. The Four Corners report was titled The Real Dole Bludgers and exposed a massive taxpayer rip-off perpetuated not by the unemployed ripping off the system, but by the job agencies ripping off the system. The... uh, was this, uh, the three job agencies named were the ORS Group, Max Employment and the Salvation Army Employment Plus. This was by no means the first time that these job agencies were found to be ripping off the taxpayer, and I'll just go into this quickly. In 2005, the Salvation Army was investigated for fraudulently upget- upgrading clients to a highly disadvantaged classification, thereby increasing bonuses and payments for Salvation Army staff. In 2009, the famous charity was forced to repay $9 million, but the Rudd government refused to say whether anyone was ever prosecuted. And um, as far as I know, the Salvation Army is still a job agency with a government contract. That's the Salvation Army Employment Plus. Now, as for ORS, a company which last year turned over $66 million, cases of forgery were alleged One former employee said, it's big business, it's not about the job seeker, it's about the employment network. I don't know how they're still open. Now, I don't want to be going over your story, which we've already done. But um, it's just to get to the point that as of July this year, ORS is no longer on a government contract. And uh, this brings me to the letter which was sent out by Mr. Abbott's department. That's Mr. Abbott's, not Mr. Abbott, because he's the... A bit, a bit, a bit. And we all love him. Of course. Now, the letter states, and this is a quote here, the letter states, the ORS group will stop delivering employment services to you on the 30th of June 2015. So, from the 1st of July 2015, the so-and-so job network will help you look for work. And that's a laugh in and of itself, but anyhow. <laughs> if you want to choose a different job active provider... You can do so before the 5th of June, 2015. Now, I'm sure most people will see that the person is being told that they must go to a new provider on the 1st of July, yet they must decide whether or not they want a different job provider by 5th of June. 5th of June's today. Right. 5th of June is, of course, before 1st of July. The job seeker is told at the bottom of the page that they are a customer. They like to tell people that. Surely, 
an actual customer would have some say in what they are purchasing. Oh, goodness me. What they are purchasing and what contract they're entering into. Surely an actual customer could view the service before deciding on whether they want it or not. Now, I've been informed by a Department of Employment spokesperson that 351,000 of these letters have been sent out to people whose job agencies have lost the contract. So this begs the question, it, it, this doesn't say it's not just ORS. Why, why have ORS and these others lost their contracts? I asked this question and I was told by the spokesperson to go to the website employment.gov.au. And what did it say? Something about competitive tender? Yeah, a whole lot of go. Well, it never said anything about the contracts or you know, who got this or who right. didn't get that. It was just that what we can do for you, how great we are, <laughs> laddie daddy dad. There was nothing there. I mean, you could search and search till you're blue in the face, and there's nothing there. Then again, you know, there's nothing better to do, right? It told me nothing about this, and neither does the letter. Now, with these job agencies and government departments, they're very good at telling people about our responsibilities. When it comes to their responsibilities and our rights, they do tend to keep quiet. Contrary to what Mr. Abetz's letter suggests, if a person doesn't care for the job agency which has been foisted on them, there's no choice here, the person can, however, request a transfer at any time. I think a lot of people don't actually know this, and they, they don't tell you this. They simply ask for and get a transfer form from the first agency and they take it to the next one. If the agency is a person a person is with is being unreasonable, in the first instance a person can make a complaint to the department itself. Through freedom of information, job agency pa paperwork can be provided and, and it, th that will happen. There are of course other ways to deal with these problems, but I think this is a, as a first step uh, in accessing information which is kept on you it's, your, it's yours, you know, they're, they're, they're speaking about us, they're writing stuff about us, right? It's kept on us, it's a good place to start. These companies need to know that they're not the only ones who can keep tabs. It is possible that files can be tampered with, similar to the way that you spoke about uh, Max Employment is alleged to have done by Four Corners, and that could happen with the department too, right? I to go too much into that, but this is a very serious matter if it is proven that they've been tampering with. What I think is important is that people know they have rights, and everyone knows that rights and responsibilities go two ways. It's enough for me. Jolly good. Well, uh, it, it doesn't require a huge amount of imagination to imagine what it would be like if China started sending aircraft carriers into the Gulf of Mexico mm. in order to assert its right to freedom of navigation. Or perhaps the Russians might dispatch, dispatch military reconnaissance aircraft just, just outside the 12-mile territorial limit off the coast of New York, uh, Port mm. Phillip Bay or wherever. Such ag actions, of course, as you know, certainly by people like Bolt and the, the Herald Sun, would be denounced as flagrant aggression. If Didn't not, the Russians invade a couple of months ago? I missed that. <laughs> well, that, it would be denounced as acts of war if if China did what the Americans are doing. Yet this is exactly what the United States is doing thousands of kilometres from America. State-of-the-art surveillance aircraft now routinely patrol close to Chinese-controlled islands in the South 
China Sea. So it's not, China, it's not South America. I was just about to say, not the South America Sea, the South China Sea. We've got the maps wrong with it. Provocatively preparing to directly challenge China's territorial claims by sailing or flying within the 12-mile limit. The United States is transforming a freedom of navigation question into a causes belli, in other words, a cause for war with China. The US Defence Secretary, Ashton Carter, declared that he was, quote, personally committed to the next phase of US military rebalance aimed at encircling in China. Having outlined the vast array of military right, Carter went on with a straight face to declare that the US opposed any further militarization of disputed areas, which is why, of course, the United States is sending an aircraft carrier there. A reference to this, and what there he's referring to is a reference to two small artillery guns that Washington claims China has placed on one of the islands. Two mobile... So this course deserves the Seventh Fleet to move in there. US imperialism is now actively preparing for war with China. It's not China that threatens the freedom of navigation in the South China Sea, but the United States. Central to the Pentagon's war strategy against China are plans to cripple its economy by imposing a naval blockade to sever shipping routes on which China relies for energy and raw materials from Africa and the Middle East. The Obama administration has made it clear that it's willing to threaten, risk and provoke war in order to ensure its untrammeled domination in Asia in general and China in particular. The historic decline of US imperialism, and by that I mean economically rather than military, during the past two decades has been matched by the eruption of American militarism in the Middle East, the Balkans and Central Asia. The US is settling itself on a collision course with China, whose strategic and economic interests are directly threatened by aggressive American intrusion into the South China Sea. Beijing is well aware that any concessions to Washington will be quickly followed by even more strident demands. Admiral Sun Yango, head of the Chinese delegation in Singapore, rejected US condemnations of China activities and calls for a halt to land reclamation. Now, amidst this escalating tension between US and China over the South Chinese Sea, the Australian government... You couldn't, have a, you couldn't have a show without the Australians turning up. The Australian government is actively considering conducting its own freedom of navigation exercises no. near artificial islands built by China in disputed territory. Well, that's just pathetic. According to the front page of uh, the 2nd of June Australian, written by Greg Sheridan, Mr CIA himself, the article revealed what is under discussion is far more provocative than the recent military operations by the United States next to these Chinese-controlled atolls. The Wall Street Journal reported last month that the Pentagon was drawing up plans for warships or military aircraft to the end of the 12-mile territorial zone around a Chilean islet, uh, islet. The Australian article makes it clear that Washington could be contracting out this particular task to Canberra, 
So the Americans themselves won't actually do it. They'll get Australians to do it. Errand Does Australia boy. get paid? or No, no Australia, we'll do anything. We'll we're, do anything. We're, we're the errand boy and we're proud we're, to be we're the, the errand we're boy. The, we're the, we're the, it justifies, I suppose, all the money we're spending on these things. Well, we're that's right. Uh, according to the Australian, the plans involve a PC surveillance aircraft that could possibly take off from the Butterworth Air Force base in Malaysia. Alternatively, within a few months, an Australian warship on a port village to the Philippines or Vietnam could incidentally, as they put it, incidentally breach what Beijing considers its territorial waters. Butterworth, is that an Australian or a British or what? British Australian based in Malaysia. Still there. Abbott's government has made no decision yet, but such an exercise is considered very likely. While unlikely to be, formally at least, a US operation, Washington's obviously heavily involved. The Obama administration may well prefer Australia or other allies to intrude within the 12-mile limit Mm. rather than doing themselves. Moreover, unlike Australia, although the United States, although denouncing China's action in the South China Sea is illegitimate, has not ratified the relevant international treaty, the US Convention on the Law of the Sea. The danger of war with China is now being openly discussed. In a Time article entitled The Next Step Towards Possible Conflict in the South China Sea, in case you were ambiguous about it, they detail behind-the-scenes planning, and it reflects this aggressive state taken by the United States, Australia and other allies against China at last week, weekend's Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore. Echoing US Defence Secretary Ashton Carter, the Australian Defence Minister Kevin Andrews, Mr Personality, on Sunday called for a halt to all land reclamation activities in the South China Sea, highlighting China's, quote, large-scale activity in particular. Andrews told the Wall Street Journal that Australia would directly challenge any declaration by China of an air defence identification zone in the South China Sea. An air, an air defence identification zone is not a territorial claim, but requires aircraft to give advance warning before entering the zone. The US responded to China's announcements of an ADIZ in the East China Sea by provocatively flying nuclear-capable B-52 bombers into the area unannounced. Imagine this if, if this had happened off the coast of America. Mm. We would be deafened by the screens. We call it saber-ratting, exactly. but, but it's very dangerous. And for us to be getting involved with the biggest trading partner, I mean, j- just if you're looking at the business side of things, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. Uh, uh, Andrews indicated the Australian force would ignore an air defence identification zone requirement by the Chinese and would proceed with flights into the South China Sea. Quoting him here, We've been doing it for decades. We're doing it currently and we'll continue to do it in the future. That sounds exactly like the justification that my little sister gives when you tell her to stop doing she's not meant to be doing. I always do that. (laughs) That means you should stop now. (laughs) Now they're saying my father did it. His father before him did it. The Wall Street Journal reported the top US Navy and Marine commanders in the Pacific have been urging close ally Australia since last year to consider joining multilateral Navy policing missions in the China Sea. So before you know it, we'll be up for a war with China. Mm. over tiny islets in which the Chinese have two or three mobile guns. 
it all seems very worthwhile. And you know, the other nations around there, Vietnam, Philippines, whatever, I mean, the Philippines, of course, is a, you know, I think you'd call it a US satellite, even still a bean egg dawn to do similar things. Well, there's the stuff with Japan being rearming. Mm. Uh, I think they've got to change their constitution. I think they maybe have already. They it's just this year already. changed the constitution where they can use the Japanese military outside. Oh yes, I think that's gone. That's gone. Yeah, There's that a far that oh that fell <coughs> off, did it? limitation Abbey on the Japanese it. is it's gone. Yeah, the Abbey <coughs> wanted it, so it came in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay. right. That's right. That's right. So uh, that is a possible war threat, and we've got the Australian government. Uh, no word, by the way, of Labor Party opposing. No. So uh, we could be committed to a war over what? Some well, atolls in the South China Sea? Well, it's, economic it's, com- imperialism. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. But uh, <laughs> to imagine yeah, and the, the effort to paint China as the aggressor, well, aggressor when it's operating within 12 miles of its coast is really pushing credibility to a ridiculous level. Rod- I think it might be a, a while, though, before there's any sort of... Um, conflict, although obviously they're making manoeuvres and stuff now, but America is still, isn't it? China is still the holds the largest amount of US debt still. Yeah. Oh, there yes. is um, still, and obviously China is no match militarily, even though they're trying to no. militarise. They're not even close to the US. At oh no, no. The United States has more weapons than basically everyone else put together. When it comes, and to that's the only way that they can guarantee their dominance throughout the world because economically they are going the backwards. Dance. Their industry has basically disappeared. It's been exported to China mm. and the financial bourgeoisie in the United States is simply just in, enriching itself at the expense of the mass of the people. Almost mm. sounds like Rome, doesn't it? It does <laughs> the, sound uh, like Rome. Well, that, that's been uh, you know, referred to the fall of Rome. But uh, when it comes to Australian policy, Rudd, Kevin Rudd was trying to have a Bit of a fairer, more middle, not middle of the road, but you know, getting closer to more sensible policy. Like and I think speaking that's Mandarin one of the, badly. But yeah, well, yeah. But um, I don't know if it's badly or not. But um, that's one of the reasons I believe that Gillard was put in there to get rid of. With the help of the Americans. Yeah. Well, since Gillard. Rudd came back for a short period of time. Gillard and Abbott have just been all the way with the USA. Yes, yes, yes. For the, the Chinese, for their part, I mean, the, I, I look at the Chinese and compare them to the Russians. When it comes to their propaganda, I think they could be a bit cleverer and they could put out a message to the world, you know, to us, what's going on. And I think they, they just seem to be very much focused on, them, on themselves and they're very nationalistic. And I don't really think they do themselves any favour there. Well, yes, but you even know, if they had a case, you're certainly not going to read about it in the Australian press. Can you imagine uh, the Murdoch press or Greg Sheridan giving an even half-honest account of China's attitude to but these if, questions? If the Russians speak, if Putin or Lavrov put, makes a statement, I mean, you can see the statement. You can get the statement. The Chinese are very... They put out, the Russians have put out a statement vis-à-vis the plane shut down over mm. the Ukraine. Yes, they, put out, they, they do put out statements. That's, yeah, and most of the time, and this is not the first statement they put out on the downing of the U plane in the Ukraine, mm. but it doesn't get reported here. So part of the problem is that our press, the Murdoch and the Fairfax press, has joined the anti-China crusade. So you're just not going to get anything I remotely. I think part of actually the China has set up that um, the Asia infrastructure Bank. I know I'm not got right. the name That's right. yes. quite right, but it's a kind of um, to go around as a, as a having a pool of money for setting up infrastructure products around Asia. So in in that way, that can be seen, I think, as an ideological 
kind of offensive as as well, like the way that the Iron well, sure beats set, sending the se- seventh fleet. Yes, but I mean it's, have, it's at least constructive. I'm just saying that they need to have a voice against this because I've seen this drumbeat. I mean, just just seeing headlines, not actually reading the pa- yeah, old yeah. paper or buying it or anything like that. Edge and the Australian very much. It probably is this Greg Sheridan fellow, you know. Just this constant drumbeat. Oh, of course it is. Against, you know, what's happening in the South China Sea. And it's been going on for years. Oh, really. it's been going on. So it's like, you know, it's like softening people's minds to believing that this is this terrible Chinese aggression. It's gone on for an awful long time. When are we going to do something about it? Well, it's the yellow, <laughs> yellow peril all over again, it's, isn't it's, it? It's, it's, it's the, the opposite. It's the case. Yes. People, it's 10.31. It's your chance to ring up and discuss any topic, whether we've talked about it or not, whether you agree with us or not. Do remember, and the number to ring is 94190155, 94190155. Do remember, of course, that next week is Radiothon Week, in which we, and we let me tell you, we hate doing it, we have to ask you for enough money to keep this station on the air, and in particular, this program. Don't just point at me. It won't be just me. <laughs> It'll be you asking too. Nay, be. No, I said, you said we hate it. That's, well, we uh, will hate it, I think is what You will hate If you haven't been through one, you will hate it, let me tell you. Because you're asking people for money and we're asking people who haven't got much money because they're the only ones whose interests 3CR support. So it's worth making uh, you know, some sacrifice for 3CR. At least you're getting your money's worth. You're getting a a year of uh, 3CR demonstrating a view to the mainstream media, and that's lacking anywhere else. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.